The psalm is Psalm 71, reading there verses 1 through 15 and then verse 18. And our theme tonight is uh, the epiphany, which basically refers to the wise men coming. And so that's part of the, the emphasis. And so the readings all have that kind of focus of the wise men coming to Jesus and the light shining forth as we associate that. Epiphany is January 6th, which is the 12th day of Christmas. December 25, 12 days later, is Epiphany. Now, most of the radio stations will have it as they start 12 days before the 25th of December, and those are the 12 days of Christmas. Wrong. It starts on Christmas Day and continues on to this time. It's also sometimes referred to as the Gentile Christmas, in that that's the time that it's known that Jesus came for all people, not just the Jews. So, that's kind of the emphasis today. The psalm of the day is Psalm 72, as I mentioned. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor, of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures, and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound, till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him, and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life, and precious in their blood is in his precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made for him continually, and blessings invoked for him all the day. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. This is the psalm for today. The Lord be with you. For today is recorded in Isaiah chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, and young camels of Midian and Ephah, those from Sheba 
shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Our epistle lesson is recorded in Ephesians chapter 3, reading there verses 1 through 12. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you shall perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to you, to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he was, has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and accident, access with confidence to our faith in him. This is the word of the Lord. Please stand for the reading of the gospel lesson. The gospel lesson is recorded in Matthew chapter 2, reading there verses 1 through 12. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. 
This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. We're going to kind of wing a children's message here. So you kids want to come with me? Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you know what would have happened if it had been three wise women who had come to the Bethlehem instead of three wise men? Someone suggested that they probably would have had come early and would have set up a maternity ward so that Jesus would not have had to have been born in a stable, um, which is certainly a possibility. We don't even know much about these wise men. In fact, we probably shouldn't even refer to them as wise. Um, they were probably men, but we don't really know a whole lot about them. Um, they can't, we don't know for sure where they came from. Um, sometimes we think that they came. I had a professor who told me that he thought that they came from from what was Babylon, that they became followers of, of the Judean God when Judah was there in captivity during the Babylonian captivity. And they thought that, that they followed him. They became part of that, and so that's how they learned. Um, many people feel that they came from China. Um, I was in, um, in India probably about 20 years ago, I guess, now that I think about it. And the Indians claimed that, that he came from India and uh, that, that, that the wise men were from India. Um, and, and why do we refer to them as wise? Uh, probably maybe even a misnomer. Um, but if you want to kind of make it in a bigger picture, they were wise because of what they were searching for. They were searching for Jesus. They were searching for this king who was to come. And we don't really know for sure whether they understood who Jesus was, but maybe they did. If they had somehow gotten a hold of the Old Testament and understood what the Old Testament was saying about the Messiah, and here's the Messiah who came now, that they maybe did understand what this was all about, and that this Messiah was going to come to give him, to give them, the, the good news and follow that Jesus, what, that Jesus Christ was in lo- that Jesus Christ loved them. How do you do with following directions? Do you follow directions well? When all else fails, you follow the directions, right? Yeah. I don't know if you've had that experience, but I've had to put together Christmas Eve gifts um, late at night and had trouble because I was having trouble following the directions, Um, and so that it is. And so here these wise men, however many they were or wherever they came from, followed this star. No GPS, no Google Maps that would help them to find out just where they're going. And, And here they came, and they come, first of all, to Jerusalem. A logical conclusion. If you're go looking for the king, where would you go? You'd go to the place where the king is supposed to be. And as they arrive there, Herod gets upset because he's the king, and he doesn't want anybody else coming in to become part of his kingdom. And so he gets a little bit concerned and upset about the whole process. 
But he ends up sending them ultimately to Bethlehem. And then instead of going back to King Herod, as he asked them to do, they go back home by another raid. And so that's how they go. But what do we say today in terms of how do we follow? The important thing is knowing what we are seeking. They were seeking this king, this king of the Jews. And what do we seek? What are we searching for? Where is God leading me? And what is God's will for my life? It begins by understanding that success is really understanding what God has done for me. And that I follow him. I recognize that I understand that Jesus Christ died on the cross so that I could have my sins forgiven. That Jesus Christ came into the world because God loved me and each one of us. That God loved us and that's why Jesus came. And he died and he rose again from the dead so that you and I can have the assurance, the assurance that God is going to be with us forever. The problem is, is that sometimes when we say we're going to follow God and we're going to do that, and an awful lot of people, I'm told, made New Year's resolutions that they're going to try to have a closer relationship with God in the new year, sometimes it's hard to kind of carry through on all of that. And part of it is because we want to know the finish line. We want to know where it's all going to go. And God doesn't give us all the information that We want to know the end result. We want to know what's going to happen in between. And it doesn't happen that way. It was a little over 50 years ago that I became a pastor. Now, I didn't go to college with the idea of becoming a pastor. I went to college that I was going to be a chemistry teacher. And and I thought that was what I wanted to do. And um, my mom and dad had both been teachers, and both my sisters were teachers, and I thought, I'm just going to follow in the line. Um, And someplace along the line, I discovered that uh, college chemistry was a lot harder than high school chemistry. And so I decided I would take the easy way and become a pastor. And uh, so that's kind of what happened. But if if you would have asked me back when I graduated from a seminary as to what my ministry was going to be like and where I was going to be doing it, I would have had absolutely no, no idea of what actually happened in my life and where it all took us, took me. I think that's oftentimes the way we go approach things, and we want to know. We want to know where it's going to be, where it's going to end, what's going to happen. And we want to know all those things. And sometimes we you know, want to know the ending to a movie or the ending of the book so that we can find out where the end is, so that as we go there, we kind of know what's going to happen. But it doesn't work out that way. Because God wants us to follow him by faith, and to trust him, and to do that. So how do we get started following God? Well, a couple things. Number one, we need to have a relationship with God. God wants us to... He wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. If you are here, you want to know who God is and you want to follow him. 
And if you don't really know all of that, then ask a Christian friend and they will help you. Or come to church and send a connect card and we will get in touch with you. So where is God leading us? To have a relationship with him and to have a relationship with God means that we understand that we have a God who loves us. We have a God who cares for us. We have a God who sent Jesus Christ to be our Savior and the Savior of the whole world. And we have a God who died so that all of our sins could be forgiven and arose again for the assurance that we can have hope of eternal life with him. Secondly, we need to fill our lives and our mind with God's word. You want to know where God is leading, then somehow you need to know a little bit of what's going on in this book. Now, this is not a manual that somehow we can follow, and page by page we can learn how to do things, like those instructions that you follow when you're trying to put together the, the new toy or when you're trying to bake something. My wife, Lori, was trying to bake something the other day, and she thought she was kind of following the directions, the recipe. And she got about halfway through and discovered that she wasn't following the directions. She had skipped a couple parts. So um, it was a pretty good, uh, pretty good result after all. But, uh, but yeah, so we need to know what it is. But it's not a manual that's going to tell us exactly how we're to go and what we're supposed to do and when we're supposed to do it. If it were, we would all be the same. We would all be doing the same things. And is that what happens? No. I read someplace that God created a thousand different types of beetles. Now that seems to me to be an excessive amount of variety, right? Do we need really a thousand different kinds of beetles? And that's not to refer to Ringo and John. I know that's what Ben was thinking. Um, I think a hundred different kinds of beetles probably would have been sufficient. But God wants variety. And God created all of us to be that kind of variety and to do things in different ways and how we go about doing it. And that's where spiritual gifts get into the picture. And so if you want to participate in those classes that we're going to be offering in spiritual gifts, then, then that's kind of the way in which we kind of find out how it's going to go. And how has God prepared me for all of that? But to find out about it is to read it, to attend a class, to study it. And on the, the back table back there, there's a listing of all the Bible classes and other classes that are taking place at community so that you can participate in that. And number three, we need to believe that God will give you a second chance. I've had some people that have come to me and said, I don't think God can use me. And I say, well, why not? And they say, well, I did some really, really bad stuff when I was growing up. And I did not do good stuff. And I say, well, so what? God is a God of second chances. And that's what forgiveness is all about. It's God telling us that we have a second chance because he has forgiven all that has taken place in the past. So, what's God's direction for my life? Living where life with God is a lifestyle. And it's doing in a relationship not formulas, but a relationship with God. When we live our lives with other people, 
we don't always have formulas as to what this is what we're supposed to do. And anybody who enters into a marriage relationship thinking that that's what marriage is all about is just a, a formula that they can follow is going to be disappointed because it doesn't work that way. And with God, it's always a relationship. It's recognizing that here we have a God who cares about us, a God who loves us, a God who's involved with us. And it is so important that it was not merely a following a set of rules. And so we can start by doing all that. Secondly, it's an attitude about life with God. Don't be fatalistic about following God. What, is fatal, what does that mean? Sometimes people get in the whole idea of assuming that everything happens in life is because of what God has done. If that were true, then God would be responsible for all the evil that's in the world and all the bad things that I do. It's not that God has laid out a plan and says, this is what you've got to do. God has got a lot more flexibility in that, and because it's a lifestyle, we follow along with what God has laid out for us and how God leads and how it happens along the line. Don't be fearful about following God. Don't be scared about it. Sometimes people have the feeling that if I get too much involved with this God thing, that he might send me to Outer Mongolia to become a missionary. And I don't want to go to Outer Mongolia to become a missionary. If you don't want to go to Outer Mongolia, God probably is not going to send you there. God is smarter than that. But sometimes we have that feeling that I don't want to become this religious fanatic. And God is always involved in that and helping us to grow in what it means to be a child of God. Any parent who wants to take their child and wants to formulate their child to be exactly like they were as a child is probably going to be in trouble. Because any parent knows that kids are different. They're different than what we were. And we have a phrase for that in the education world about the helicopter parents, the parents who are supervising their kids and trying to pull the string and teach their kids and treat their kids like they're puppets. Well, God doesn't do that for us. He's not there just pulling strings and having us do whatever he wants us to do. God gives us the opportunity to follow him and to do as he leads and as he guides. So we're not fearful of all of that. Don't be afraid of all of that. Why do you think it is that someone has counted up and that 365, 365 times in the Bible that God says, do not be afraid? Why do you think God says that over and over and over 365 times? Because what? We're afraid. And we need to hear, we need to hear it that we do not be need, we do not need to be afraid. Because God loves us and God cares about us. Jeremiah twenty nine, verse eleven. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Following God is always following a God who loves us, a God who cares about us, 
And part of that be not being afraid is to recognize that we have a God who does love us and does care for us. And this is probably kind of where we struggle through things a little bit in all of that. The wise men maybe got to Jerusalem and said, if it's not Jerusalem, then where is it? Where are we supposed to go? What are we supposed to do? We thought we were on the right track, and it didn't work out that way. Well, here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. We know that in some things God works for the good of those who love him. Is that the correct understanding? How about this? We know that in most things, God works for the good of those who love him. No, that's not what it says either. The Bible says we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. All things. Does that mean God is going to work through my own stupid mistakes? Yes. Does it mean that when I'm a victim of somebody else's bad decisions, God can use that to help me to grow? Yes. Does it mean that when things are beyond my control and somebody walks out on me or somebody disappoints me, that God can use that to help me to grow with him? Yes. Does it mean that when my kids rebel against my standards and my morals, and follow some other plan that God can work through that? Yes. Does it mean that when it hurts because people close to me do things that grieve me? Yes. Following God is a long-term process. And if you woke up sometime today, that means that God is still involved in the process. And God is going to be involved in that process for as long as it is that you wake up from sleep. For Victoria Newman, it was 140 plus years. That's a long time that God woke her up and kept her going in terms of her lifestyle. And that's the way it is with God for us as well. Following God is a long-term process and includes both problems as well as pleasures. God uses all of that to help us to grow through it all. I have a brother-in-law named Norm. Norm is a very smart guy. He has an earned doctorate and was the provost of Concordia University in Chicago. And provost is kind of the guy who's second in charge and deals with the professors and the academic kind of stuff. And that was his job, and he retired a few years ago. Now, Norm was a very impatient guy. I hated riding with him because he would get upset at red lights. Oh, red light, it just turned red. Or traffic, and I mean, he lived in the Chicago area, which there was just a little bit of traffic around in Chicago. And Chicago drivers are notoriously, well, we'll stop there. Um, but he, he was all that. Now, he spent time about seven weeks in the hospital. He had some surgery done, an infection came in, and all kinds of problems became a part of that. So he spent seven years, seven weeks in the hospital trying to recover from all of that. Finally, they sent him home, and he was home. And I got a call from my sister about uh, a week ago that 
They both came down with COVID. And I said, Norm, I wonder if you're going to learn now that maybe you need to practice a little patience. Because I think God is trying to teach you something. And he just groaned at me. But, but that's, I think, kind of where we're at. Is that sometimes we only learn by going through some of the problems of life as well as the pleasures. And that's the way in which we learn who God is and what God means and how God deals with us. Following God always requires faith. It always requires that we trust him because that's the way God operates. And isn't that what the wise men did? They didn't know where all this was going, but they set out in faith. They thought it was going to end in Jerusalem. But it didn't. They had to go to Bethlehem. And that is why God does not always spell out all the things that are going to happen in our life and what's going to go on. If he spelled it all out, it wouldn't require any faith or any trust on our part. We need to step out in faith and to see just where it is that God is going to lead us. Not knowing all that is going to happen to us but that it can help us to grow in our relationship with God and to understand that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. It is our faith that tells us that God will take us to be with him at the end of this life on earth and that we will have the assurance that we are there with him. In a few moments, we're going to be receiving the bread and wine of Holy Communion the body and blood of Christ, as the assurance and the reminder that God still loves us, that God wants to have a close relationship with us. God, as it were, is inviting us to dinner. We call it the Lord's Supper. And that's letting us know that we're his friends and that he cares for us very much. Wise people... The wise men sought the Messiah, the King. Let us be wise and seek the Messiah, King Jesus, who died and rose again so that we can have life with him forever and ever and ever and ever. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus into our world so that he could die and rise again and assure us of his love for us and that we would have the hope of eternal life in heaven with you. Bless us now, O Lord, in all that we do and as we live our lives as your sons and daughters. In Christ Jesus we pray and all God's children said, Amen.